what I see people do, and, and when I find that I'm really stressed out, inevitably, it's because I fell out of the habit of doing it every day. It's almost a perfect correlation. But what they'll do is they'll try to write everything that possibly needs to get done. I'm like, no, that's what your computer systems are for. That's why you've got your project management system. That's why you've got your CRM. That's why you've got your email reminders and your calendar. Those are your banks of everything that could conceivably need to be done. So, but you have to personally lay it out day by day, take 30 minutes in the morning or 30 minutes into the day of the day before, whichever works, and write out if I had a good day today, what are the minimum things I want to be completed before I go home? Yeah. And so many people will you inevitably have things that carry over to the next day because it didn't get done because the phone rang, the OSHA called, whatever it is. Yeah. Don't just keep using that day's to-do list. I know it sounds silly, but rewrite it on the next day. And if you rewrite it on the next day, you are reminding yourself, I failed to do that yesterday. I need to make sure this gets done today. That is first on my list today. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome back to another episode of the Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast brought to you by Inveris. Before I introduce this week's guest, I wanted to please ask everyone to support the show by taking a few moments and leaving a review in iTunes or even Spotify. I love reading it on the show and it gives me feedback. All right. This week's guest is Kyle Chambers, Chief Executive Officer and founder of Texas Quality Assurance and host of the Quality Matters podcast. What's going on, Kyle? Hey, not too much. Not too much. I'm just glad to be here. Yeah. Let's talk about how you got started. Yeah. So quality, this is something I always have fun asking folks about on the Quality Matters podcast as well, because I've yet to find anyone who set out to be in quality. It's a weird world that we all somehow stumble into. Right. I was the systems administrator for a company. I was the IT guy, the computer geek. Everything from setting up the mail server, the file server, website, you name it, phone systems, that was my job. And I kind of worked my way out of a job. I'd set everything up and it's like, you don't need a full-time person to maintain it no more. Yeah. And my uh, oldest kid had just been born and I'm like, I gotta have a job. So I started poking around, seeing like, what else can I do around here to provide some value, trying not to let on that I had not a darn thing to do most days. And they tossed out uh, health and safety. They said, we need a health and safety program. I'm like, okay. Had no idea how to spell OSHA. So I had to figure that out. <laughs> I started trying to do like OSHAN. I'm like, I'm not finding nothing. I know it's OSHA. In any case. And, you know, one thing led to another and that turned into environmental management, turned into quality management, turned into getting ISO certified. What does that mean? What does it take to get OSHA certified? So there's really, I say, I say there's not no OSHA certification. They have what they call a VPP program, Voluntary Protection Program, where basically you go in and say, hey, we're working with OSHA. We want everyone to know that they have an open door here and we're compliant to everything. So we didn't go that route, though we did briefly debate it. But what we decided to do instead was go for our ISO 9001 certification, which is for quality management, basically mm -hmm. proof that you say what you do and do what you say. We went for our OSAS 18002, which has since been replaced, but that was the health and safety version. So it's here's your proof 
to any supplier, not any supplier, sorry, any, any customer, any organization out there that you have a structured occupational health and safety management system. And so that was the route we wound up going. Since then, another standard for all the quality geeks out there, which probably not that many, <laughs> they replaced it with ISO 45001. So it's the same standard effectively, just it's an ISO standard instead of a British standard. Okay. Basically evidence to the world that you got your stuff together and that you go through regular audits to keep it. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's a lot of stuff to... <laughs> <laughs> The way that the business itself got started, though, is because in getting these management systems in place, I got to where I was working consistently 70, 80 hours a week. There are some weeks it was close to 100 hours. Oh, my. And that's just not going to work if you want to have a life and a family. Right. My wife made it very clear that I needed to find a way to make some improvements. And I kind of got what that meant. And I said, OK, I'm going to find a way to make some improvements. And so I remember walking into my uh, boss's office. And telling him, I'm shutting the door for the next two weeks. No one's going to bother me. I'm unplugging my phone and I'm turning off Outlook. So I'm going to find a way to do this better. And in those two weeks, I built a very rudimentary software for managing our safety and quality programs. Mm -hmm. A couple years later, I got a chance to rebuild that from scratch for my very first paid project. Right on. Right on. So you went from zero hours to 100 hours. In about the span of maybe three months. Wow, that's that's <laughs> kind of a slap in the face. It's just like, boom, here bit, it is. Little bit. Well, we got everything started and they were really excited with the progress. And I remember the day that they came to me and they said, Kyle, we want to get ISO certified. And I'm like, hey, I've been reading on it. This is exciting. And I was like, well, how much time do I have? And I'm thinking like a three-year timetable. And so they threw a date out there and it was 11 months, two weeks and three days. Oh, that's very specific. <laughs> they gave a very specific deadline to a customer that I had to fulfill. <laughs> wow. But that was how it got started. And so I started building servers on a dining room table because cloud wasn't a thing back then. Yeah. But yeah, that was how I got started. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. So let's talk about what Texas. Yeah. So since then, we have obviously the QMS software that's kind of the our flagship product, I guess you'd say, but we've expanded out now for compliance consultation. So if you need to get certified to one of these standards for the oil and gas folks out there, API, Q1, Q2, that sort of thing. So we do full on consultation. We, especially after COVID, but even before COVID, small businesses have a real hard time affording a quality manager. Right. I mean, what happens is you just give someone else an extra hat to wear which can work well. I'm not going to say it, it can't work well, but it doesn't often work well. And a small business can't afford the highly skilled, experienced quality manager. So we've got what we call our fractional quality management program. Mm -hmm. Kind of the same ideas like a fractional CEO, fractional CFO, but we do it for quality and compliance. Obviously, that comes with internal auditing. And starting next month, we're going to be rolling out a line of uh, safety compliance services. Mm-hmm. So you went from working for someone and then you built the software and then decided to go straight out on your own doing this. It took a little bit of time. So, you know, I built the software for the company I was working for. Consultant we'd been working with came to me and he was like, Kyle, I've got a client that could use this. And I said, well, I'm going to have to rebuild everything completely from scratch. Do you think they'll pay for that? And he said, yeah, they're hurting. They need it. And they were about to lose their API monogram. Mm -hmm. 
you lose the monogram, you're basically out of business. Ooh. So he was willing to pay to get it done. So yeah, built the server on dining room table. And I had a chance to do that two or three more times over the next couple of years. In doing that, you kind of see, well, providing software for someone's no good if they don't already have the processes in place, you know, right. they've already got to have their procedures and stuff in place. Right, right, right. So that led to consulting. So three years after I built that first server on the dining room table, I uh, turned in my notice and said, I'm jumping off into the deep end. How did they feel about that? It went really well, actually. I gave them a two months notice, offered to give them even more if I needed to. And I stayed on retainer for a while to help out in the transition. But it worked out really, really well. I mean, I had fantastic relationship with the management there, really can't complain. I mean, other than they just they just like to work people a lot, but hey, each stone. <laughs> I think that's anywhere you go, really. <laughs> <laughs> no, it worked out really well. Yeah, good, good, good. Let's talk about the software. Yep. What it does and how it's implemented. Yeah, so what's really cool about it is we run everything out of Microsoft 365. Oh, and that's convenient. Yeah. These days, who doesn't know how to use Word, Excel, SharePoint, Outlook? Most everyone's familiar with these. Most things. everyone. I'm not going to make any comments further on that. <laughs> but <laughs> enough people are familiar with it that it really cuts down that learning curve. That's the biggest thing with any type of software is we got to make it easy for the user to understand it and predict what's going to happen. Right. So it all runs out of 365 and we handle everything that you need for a management system. So from keeping track of your documents, automatic version control, document history, automatic approvals with email notifications, it's all baked in there. Same thing with tracking nonconformances, corrective actions. We just did a big revamp on the competence and training module so you can keep track of every single training that any employee has, their required trainings, their optional trainings, and you get a report with who's overdue or you know who's due soon. And just it makes it a lot easier to manage on a day to day basis. So you get to ditch the file shares, you ditch the paper copies of stuff. Oh, man. I used to have to collect all that stuff when I worked for an <laughs> operator for for Subpart O. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this makes me happy, but I wish that existed back then because I would have to keep this long spreadsheet of all oh, these yeah. names, all the different certs because there's so many. And then Macondo no. happened and that intensified. Yeah. I mean, no kidding. I mean, competence and training is I used to spend every and this was just with a company with only about 100, 150 employees. I would spend a full weekend once a quarter just going through who had been trained, what are their requirements? And especially when you hire someone new, you're not going to go tell management, hey, only hire new people to the start of my training cycle, please. Mm. Right. So you get people in the middle that have half what they need and don't have the other. It's literally a report runs and it updates itself every three hours. That's fantastic. Because I mean, some of these certs expire in two years, some of them expire in five, some of them expire yep. in 10. Yep. It's different offshore than it is onshore. Like yep. there's so many variables. There's more than just OSHA. There's Bessie. There's oh, yeah. Boehm. So much to keep up with. Man, I'm thankful. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got one client. We didn't expect this. This wasn't anything we designed it for, but it's like really cool how they figured out how to use it. Their HR manager had a real hard time keeping track of all of their onboarding paperwork. Mm. So everything from did we get their W-4? Did we show them the insurance information? Did they sign our drug policy and yada, yada, yada. So what she did is she just went in and entered in all of those paperwork requirements as trainings in the system so that they would show up on the report. Whoa. <laughs> Someone came up with their own idea. That's fantastic. That's cool. It's, yeah. it's really neat. It's like, oh, you know, that's I like it. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could totally do that with regulatory, too, because I yes. mean, there's reports that are due all the time. Which we are working on right now. We've got an audit management tool, but it's up on the development list for making some big improvements, too, especially as we're starting to venture into safety and then eventually into the environmental world. Yeah, it's that would be, be so helpful there. Let me know if you need any help with the regulatory stuff. I'm a little rusty, but we're getting there. We're getting there. Awesome. That's great. Let's talk a little bit about leadership, Kyle. Mm -hmm. What is leadership to you? I don't think anyone has an easy answer for this. And, and I try to handle things a little bit differently here. I think a lot of managers like the talk of an open door policy mm. and like to say, bring me criticism. But I've never really worked with anyone that really feels that way. Mm. But our daily production meetings, and especially our, our big weekly production meeting on Mondays, there's no lack of criticism. I'll say that. There's no lack of pointing things out and finding problems. And I absolutely love it. I want the team to bring me every issue, every problem, every concern they have, because that's the only way we're going to make improvements to things. Right. But it's tough to foster that environment with people where it doesn't devolve into disgruntled type comments and whatnot. But we've done a really great job of keeping a very, very open dialogue with each other. And it's allowing us to pivot and move and change and progress really rapidly. I'm not afraid to get my hands dirty. Now, I try to let my team do the work that they have to do, but at the same time, I have no issue jumping in, get my hands dirty with it. Just last week, I spent three days on site with a client that had a fun letter from OSHA that wasn't quite expected. And it's like, all right. <laughs> Those cool. are always well, fun. Yeah. So, well, how are we going to figure this out? How are we going to make this happen? And it was fantastic. You know, we were able to make it work. Good. I think that's the big thing. It's like you just have to have a true, open, honest dialogue. Your team can't be afraid to bring you bad news. Right. Yeah. And they have to know that if they're in trouble, you're willing to jump in and literally get your hands dirty. Right. Back them up. So I try real hard to work on that. I've got a real, real good relationship with our services manager. He's good about kind of keeping me on toes and keeping me in check. So it's real good balance. Good. Good. So what is the hardest part about being a leader? Oh, prioritization is for me mm. because you inevitably and especially in small business, you wear multiple hats. Right. And it was a conversation we've had over the last couple of days, actually, It's because I've had to take over the account manager role for several of our clients. Mm -hmm. So it's like, OK, well, if I'm stepping in as account manager, OK, well, that's a whole other set of duties and responsibilities. So as we're talking, I keep saying, you know, I failed to do this. I failed to do that. And the team's jumping in like, Kyle, you didn't mess up anything. I said, Kyle, the account manager failed to manage this and this. Like, <laughs> oh, now I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're thinking about, you know, Kyle, CEO. Well, that's not your responsibility. I'm like, well, I'm taking on this role. So, dadgummit, it is. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. You know, it's keeping those things prioritized is really tough. Like, where do you spend every minute and hour of your day? Because inevitably, there's always going to be more than 40 hours of work in a week. Mm -hmm. So, what's going to be the best purpose for it? And that answer changes week to week. That's fair. So that's the hardest part for me. What's the easiest? I absolutely love watching one of the members of our team succeed in something. That ah. just brings me the best, most joy. I absolutely love handing someone a project where I know that it's either within their capabilities they're doing or just outside of. And I've never really had an issue with delegation there, which I know is an issue for a lot of managers. It's something I think kind of comes a little bit naturally to me, but it's just because I love to watch someone else succeed in something and I want to be their cheerleader. And why do you think other people struggle with that, with delegation? Is it like a micromanagement type thing? A little bit of micromanagement maybe, but I think, 
and I can't speak for anyone else. This is just my assumptions here, but it's like, I think sometimes pride comes into it for some people. They want to be the hero. They want to be the one that solved the big problem. I really don't care. The business wins. I win. I'm happy. Yeah. I think another piece of it, too, is they're very nervous and cautious about what if someone else makes a mistake? I want to make certain that we do well for a customer and I know I can do it. So I'm going to make sure it gets done right. Yeah. No, I definitely see that. I'm as a recovering perfectionist, totally understand that. (laughs) It's tough, but that's where if you keep and I guess this is why I don't have so much of an issue with it there is is if you keep that open door to where there is truly no bad news that someone can bring you. Well, then they're going to be really open and honest with you. Kyle, I don't have a darn clue what to do here. Maybe a little more colorful language than that sometimes. Yeah. It's like, I'm confused. I don't get it. We're not getting the information we need. I don't know what you want. I'm like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Well, let's figure it out then. Right. And there's not a second where I get frustrated that they have that problem. Like, well, you have that problem because clearly I didn't get the information I needed to get from our customer or clearly I didn't give you the information you needed. Yeah. 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 I definitely get that. So if you had a piece of advice to give our audience, what would it be? Well, I got to say, when I decided to take the leap and start my business, had I known then all the struggles and difficulties I'd go through to get here, I probably wouldn't have done it. Now, that doesn't mean I don't regret it. I don't regret it for a minute. But I think if anyone has the gumption to quit the full-time job and go in head first, really, really, really prepare yourself. You read all these books about entrepreneurs that made it big. Yeah. And the first five years of their business is summed up in about a paragraph. And it usually starts with debt. Yes. So that's really advice I would have is if if you're looking to jump off the deep end and do this and work for yourself, it is fantastic. It is amazing. It is fulfilling. But don't for one second fool yourself that your stress level is going to go down or that things will get easier for you. They get more fulfilling, but they get more difficult. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, of course they do. At that point, you're your only employee and you have to do everything. Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost like having a kid versus a dog. Like if you don't want to have kids, great. I got three of them. I understand why you'd say no. Right. But raising a kid's more fulfilling than raising a dog, but it's a lot more work. I don't know, dude. I don't know. I might have to disagree with you on that. Actually, no, I have one of the most stubborn dogs ever. So, sorry, kids. (laughs) So, what book influenced you the most? Oh, gosh, that is a tough one. We even did a monthly book club for a while just because I go on audible binges, especially driving to and from clients. Let me think on that. Well, you've got quite a bit of a drive, so I would see. Yeah, see why. Yeah, yeah. Driving from Caldwell to Houston, I do that at least once, if not two or three times a week. So you could get a good chance to listen there. When Friends and Influence People was a good one. I think Jocko's Extreme Ownership mm. was a big one for me. I even remember reading it and thinking like, oh, this is kind of common sense. But then I realized that that's not common for a lot of people. But it's a fantastic <laughs> book. And then also uh, ones that we have on required reading for our employees is... Crack open the Bible, read the book of James. That is the instruction manual for how to live a good life. Right. So I guess somewhere between the three of those. Okay. (laughs) All kind of different. All kind of different. Well, how do you work on the outside with people in general? How do you work on yourself for accountability? And Mm -hmm. then just how do you structure and live your life? Yeah. Right. So what is your most used business tool? It's Mark LaCour, Editor-in-Chief at OGGN, and the energy industry faces challenges every day. And the events of the last two years have caused disruptions like never before. 
Companies in the energy industry need actionable intelligence and a single source of truth that brings all the data together. And Everest is the energy specialized technology partner that provides intelligent connections for the global energy ecosystem. Only in Everest has the analytics, people, experience, and industry scope to connect the right data and information in the right way to discover missed opportunities and deliver fast outcomes. Find out more at Everest.com. That's E-N-V-E-R-U-S.com. Oh, notepad and pen. Oh, so you're old school like I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually tell my team, I tell them, I only want you to open Outlook three times a day. Oh, God, can you like come over here and implement that here? Because I'm so over emails. Well, what I tell them is like, look, and my wife, Darcy, she was a teacher for several years and she gave me this advice a while back. Because She's like, if a customer emails you 10 times a day and you reply every time, tomorrow they'll email you 11. Oh, good point. And let's be honest, we all have this little device that has numbers that you can tap on it, you know, and then it'll make a connection to another person with a device with numbers they can tap on it. So I figure if someone has an emergency or urgent situation, they know how to call me. Yeah. So there's no reason in keeping Outlook open all day. Yeah, that's true. It's just a constant distraction. Right. Yes, absolutely. It drives me nuts. I have actually with my when I pack up my things every morning, every evening, when I go on a trip, I take my laptop and I have three different composition books I take with me. No, why three? I've got one for my daily to do list. I handwrite my daily to do list every single day and I rewrite it every single day. Mm -hmm. That way I can keep fresh what I'm working on today. It is not my everything that ever needs to be done list. It is my today. I will do these at minimum. Okay. I keep a notebook for notes and conversations with different meetings or ideas that I have as I go through the day. And then I've got a third one that's just my own personal notebook. So if I've got 20 minutes to sit and read, I make some notes and scribbles about what I read. Okay. Okay. It kind of keeps everything separate. And then again, of course, you said it eliminates distractions. Yes. So yeah, for the computer geek doing software development since 2001, a notebook and pen is my favorite tool. Right on. I, well, I right now, I have a notepad right next to me because that's how I take my notes for each show. Yeah. Like cuts and whatnot. And yeah, and I had other guests recently say it helps them remember stuff because they're writing it out. Yes, you get. And I mean, there's all the psychology and stuff that goes into it, but I remember it better, organize my thoughts better that way. And then there's something, of course, with a to-do list, there's just something amazingly satisfying about scratching it out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a pencil user, so. Ah, I only use pen, only pen. I studied architecture for a few years. And so that's when I got into that habit is mm. the first year architecture, they required you to use pen. Why is that? It's going to force you to do it properly. You can erase a pencil. You uh... can't erase pen. And so if you don't make a mistake. So I got in the habit of everything. Everything was pen. Yeah, no. Like I said, that whole perfectionist thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I still use a pencil. I love it. But no, I've done the notebooks forever. But the biggest problem I see people run into is with their to-do list. Like everyone kind of gets the idea of taking notes from a meeting and, you know, that type thing. But the to-do list, what I see people do, and, and when I find that I'm really stressed out, inevitably, it's because I fell out of the habit of doing it every day. It's almost a perfect correlation. 
But what they'll do is they'll try to write everything that possibly needs to get done. I'm like, no, that's what your computer systems are for. That's why you've got your project management system. That's why you've got your CRM. That's why you've got your email reminders and your calendar. Those are your banks of everything that could conceivably need to be done. So, but you have to personally lay it out day by day, take 30 minutes in the morning or 30 minutes into the day of the day before, whichever works, and write out if I had a good day today, what are the minimum things I want to be completed before I go home? Yeah. And so many people will you inevitably have things that carry over to the next day because it didn't get done because the phone rang, the OSHA called, whatever it is. Yeah. Don't just keep using that day's to-do list. I know it sounds silly, but rewrite it on the next day. And if you rewrite it on the next day, you are reminding yourself, I failed to do that yesterday. I need to make sure this gets done today. That is first on my list today. Oh, that's very good. I like that. I like that a lot. I might have to start doing that. I usually just look at my calendar and go, hmm, that's what I'm doing today. Yeah, well, I'll take a look at my calendar and I'll write down each meeting I have for the day. Um, I'll take a look at our project uh, management and I'll see if there's any tasks on there that have been assigned to me. And I'll be like, okay, well, I need to make sure I get those done today. And then I close all the tools out. Very good. And I get distracted real easy, just maybe a little bit of that ADD. So if my computer is open, I guarantee I'm going to open YouTube. I'm going to watch some weird video, whatever it is. Maybe it's something from politics to quantum mechanics to quality. Who knows? But Black hole. I'm going to find all sorts of ways to productively waste my day. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I have an issue with seeing notifications. Oh, Yes. Any kind of notification, it has to go away. So I have to go look at it right now. What is this? It's the curiosity of it. I'm off on my phone. Yeah. I don't get email notifications. I don't get LinkedIn notifications. The only notifications I get on my phone is for Microsoft Teams and text. Mm -hmm. And we actually have a rule that we don't communicate with our clients via Teams Messenger. So if someone messages me on Teams, I know it's one of my team members needs me. Yeah. Yeah. I have all of my social stuff turned off. It's a clutter and it, I guess I kind of get panicked. Like yeah. There's too much pressure. And it just sits there in the back of your mind and it just itches at you and itches at you. Right. <laughs> exactly. I try to tell people too. I'm like, there is no such thing as multitasking. Yeah. Cannot multitask. So yeah, I do. I do it all the time. I'm like, no, you don't. People can get good at task switching, but there's a very, 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 very small portion of the population that can do one thing with the left hand and one thing with the right hand. Unless right. you're one of those really cool weirdos, you don't multitask. Yeah. And it's like, so you task switch. And we all have a little barrier for task switching of how long it takes when we stop doing one task before we can reorient our mind to do the next. Me, I'm very poor at that. So when I go from one task to the next, it may take anywhere from five to 15 minutes for me to reorient my mind into the new world I'm looking at. Right. So... If I have all these notifications uh, dinging me, I don't get jack squat done. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely not. Yeah. And something that really overwhelms me are my emails. So I totally understand. Oh, yeah. I really love the three times a day. Yeah. It's hard for people to do because they feel like they need to open it up and check it. it. It takes a while to break that habit. Yeah. And I've fallen back into those. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I've fallen back into the bad habit on all these things I talk about. And if I fall back in that bad habit, gum, it's two weeks before I quit having the itch to look at Outlook. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just it itches. You just want to look at it. I'm like, what am I going to do? Check the emails I already read this morning? <laughs> right. I mean, it's like I'm secretly begging someone, please interrupt my day. Please interrupt me. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. It drives me a little batty. <laughs> <laughs> so who would you say is your most respected competitor? Ooh, most respected competitor. Okay. Well, that would probably be Chris Paris with Oxridge Resources. Mm-hmm. He and I are total direct competitors, but at the same time, we found a great way that we can work together on several projects. Oh, awesome. So we really have a fantastic relationship. He's actually starting to utilize our software for his clients. So far, we've not run into any situations where we're stepping on each other's toes. We've got a couple of clients that we work in tandem with. So it's it's worked out really well. But Chris is what I would call the industry watchdog. Mm. So... You would think that in the world of ISO and certifications and all these compliance requirements, that it'd be nailed down and simple, but you'd be wrong. There's just as much infighting and politics and bureaucracy as there is in any other industry. Right. And Chris is definitely the industry watchdog. If someone in our industry is doing something nefarious, he's going to jump on it. And so not a bad person to have as an ally either. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's good. It's really funny in this world with the uh, consultants. I found that we really kind of get two types of people. There's not a lot of middle ground. You get someone that'd be perfectly happy to work with you and communicate with you and share a project with you if that were necessary. And you get the others. It's I swear they're probably conspiracy theorists that are hiding out in their basement and they're just petrified that you're going to learn what they do. <laughs> So it's really weird. It's really weird. There's not a lot of gray area in there. Right. Right. So Yeah. So what would you say is your most important lesson learned? Oh, most important lesson learned. I think, honestly, that's, I know that I'm probably beating a dead horse here, but business-wise, I think that comes down to the tasking and to-do list because I implemented that about the same time that I actually started building the software 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's really, really, really made a huge impact for me because I'm the kind of person where I'm going to be working on 20 different projects at once. And how do I make sure that I'm actually making progress and not just having fun? Yeah. So if I don't, and again, this back thing is probably caused once uh, my biggest uh, challenge is like really actively prioritizing and saying no to something, even if you've got that moment of inspiration and you really feel like working on it and you really feel like jumping off into it, it's like, no, I have to tell myself no. And that's self-discipline. Yeah, it's very, very tough to do. Very, very tough to do. There's still got an inner child that just wants to work on everything fun. <laughs> hey, I don't blame you. I'm the same way. I've struggled with it my whole life. So that's probably the biggest issue there is learning how to discipline myself so that I don't just run in 50 random directions all day. <laughs> it's hard to do, man. It's hard to do. Yep. So why do you think your role now is important to the future of the oil and gas industry? Oh my gosh, especially right now between coming out of COVID, where the very first position on the chopping block for small and smaller mid-sized businesses is quality. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Oh yeah. I mean, it's first on the chopping block. We've got an experienced team. We laid off all of our new inexperienced guys and we kept the old timers that know what to do. Quality, you're gone as well. We can bring you back in later. That's the mentality. I understand it. It's logical. I'm not saying I agree with it, but I'm saying I understand it. So you take that and then you take these requirements for ESG, good, bad, ugly, like it, hate it. It's changing the industry. And one of the things we found is when you go a few layers down that supply chain, because we work with the smaller folks in the industry, right? Right. So I'm never going to do a project for Shell, but I might do a project for someone three layers down in that supply chain. Mm -hmm. 
Well, if Shell or BP or whoever else is having to show compliance for these ESG metrics to ensure that they can continue getting the financing and investments that they need, well, what they're going to do is they're going to ask their suppliers to show evidence that they're compliant as well. Well, how do you get a supplier three layers down the supply chain to show compliance to ESG when there's no central ESG scorecard? You ask them to get ISO 9001, ISO 45001, and ISO 14001 certified. If your supply chain carries those three certifications, you've just checked 90% of every ESG box they could look for. Interesting. So the world we're in is providing an extremely valuable service for the smaller players in the oil and gas world, which don't get on the news, but do make up 80 to 90% of the workforce. Gotcha. So it's exciting. I mean, I absolutely love I know this sounds like the thing I'm supposed to say, but like this is really what excites me the most is I just absolutely love to watch when one of these companies that I know had we not stepped in probably would have shut their doors by now. And they not only didn't shut their doors, they've went on and gone and hired more people than we have. And right. I'm like, that's fantastic. I just absolutely <laughs> love getting to watch it because the alternative is that the smaller guys are going to go under yeah. and the bigger guys are going to get bigger. Yeah. You know, the work's going to get done one way or the other. Right, but right, if right. I can keep some of these small guys in business. Oh my gosh, I love it. Yeah. And let's face it, the small guys can pivot, change, respond, react so much better than any of the bigger players can. So it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of touched my heart a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so, as a podcaster, what's your favorite podcast? Oh, favorite podcast. Well, how many do y'all have? Do I get to have 20 favorites? <laughs> I have lost count. We're uh, launching. We're relaunching two, and we have three others. We're launching. Oh, I'm tired, y'all. Um. <laughs> well, the ones I try to keep up with the most are. I love listening to Jocko's podcast. My kids know that there's about a one in four chance that's going to be playing when they get in the car. <laughs> or I like to others. Uh, one called the Bible Project, and they go through and really deep geeky analysis to different scriptural things. So that just kind of something that I enjoy digging into. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I figured you'd listen to all of ours because of those trips back and forth to Houston. Yes. And yes. No, uh, definitely, definitely listen to a lot of those, but probably uh, very few of Bible Project I've missed. I can't get into the three hours of Jocko's podcast. I wish I could. Oh, my gosh. I, I get about 30, 40 minutes out of it and I'm good, but I try to do that at least. Yeah, I usually quit halfway through if it's longer <laughs> than an hour. <laughs> I can't keep attention to it. And I'm like, what are we even talking about anymore? Yep, yep, yep. Unless it's a comedian. If it's a group of comedians, I can listen to it. Yeah. I'll zone it out a little bit, but you want to plug anything? Yeah. So we are actually going to be working with OGGN, putting on a conference next year. I think the date's currently a little bit in flux, but we're putting on what's called the Energy Continuity Conference. And this is something that's just super, super exciting for me. All of this came about actually from uh, earlier in the year. We were looking at the API Q2 standard, which any of the oil and gas service folks, I'm sure you know what this is, but it's the quality management system for service organizations in the oil and gas world. And one of the requirements there are contingency plans. And we spent the better part of a week internally arguing and debating and throwing out ideas about, well, how could we pre-build some contingency plan templates for customers? It's kind of a little value add thing. 
And the more we dug into it, the more and more deeper and deeper and deeper we saw this rabbit hole went. And so that's when we started talking about, man, it'd be really cool if we could put on a conference where we could have exhibitors and speakers about all of these areas that poop could hit the fan for your business. That's something we're just really, really super excited about talking about everything from natural disasters and hurricanes, which everyone thinks of, but cybersecurity, workplace safety, all sorts of cool stuff. So it's gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah, cybersecurity is a hot one right now, for sure. And it's not going to go away anytime soon. Oh, I know. It's just gotten worse, actually. It is. Absolutely is. So it's going to be a lot of fun. We're just taking a look at what are all the ways that something could go horribly wrong in your business and how can you put plans in place ahead of time so that it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And I love giving away freebies all the time. I've got tons of free stuff on the website. So one of the things we're going to be doing for the conference is all of the attendees are going to get a packet. They'll get the original Word docs. I don't like giving out the PDF stuff of sample contingency plans for a lot of these things, sample procedures. Oh, that's going to be so helpful. Oh, yeah. It's going to be hundreds of dollars of documents and forms and procedures and templates just for the $50 ticket. So it's, it's going to be really cool. Oh, They're that's really, really awesome. Cool. I want anyone that comes to leave and immediately be able to put some improvement back into their business. That's excellent. Excellent. So all right. that's exciting. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. So I'll make sure to put your website yes. in there. TexasQA.com. And a link to your podcast so people can awesome. learn more. Awesome, awesome. All right. Well, so that concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.